Hey, revolutionaries. This is Sylvia, and you're listening to the Revolution of Wholeness. Now, before we get started with this juicy revolution making, I want you to know that the Revolution of Wholeness is brought to you by the Has Everything in Co. platform. Has Everything in Co. is a platform that believes that we have everything we need to create the lives we most desire for ourselves, for each other, and as we build our communities and networks. There's even a book by the same title, We Have Everything, coming out in March that details the blueprint. Everything produced by the Has Everything in Co. platform are steps along the way to seeing all of our dreams manifest. Welcome to the conversation. This part is the revolution of wholeness. Hey, revolutionaries, it's me, Sylph, with my very first solo episode. But this is not the first try at recording. I gotta be honest with y'all. My first time, I was nervous, just like other kinds of first times. Um, I've also been struggling with some imposter syndrome and just generally not feeling the vibe. And I say this all to say, even Hot Girls R Us, uh, TM, sometimes we feel like we're not the vibe. And so I just want you all to know that it's okay if you're not feeling it today, you might feel it tomorrow. And sometimes it just takes a little bit extra preparation when you know that you have something nerve wracking on the forefront. So just wanted to drop that little advice in there, be transparent with you all, and invite you all to know that every day you do your best and it's okay to leave the rest. I also love giving credit where credit is due, so I got to say I learned that mantra or affirmation from one of my favorite yoga teachers named Abiyala, who is also the founder of Iakin and my yoga teacher training founder. Some of you may know I'm in yoga teacher training right now. It's going amazing. I can't wait to bring that kind of healing modality to you people. But for now, what you get is my voice. So. This is obviously the revolution of wholeness, and I wanted to share a little bit on this very first solo episode about why I'm even on the pursuit of wholeness. In the first line of my book, I write, I could be dead in a ditch right now, but I'm not. And that's because I made a commitment to pursuing wholeness. This commitment was really transformative for me, and I'm also still transforming. Harken back to the episode with Debrina to learn a little bit more about how transformation is a lifelong pursuit. And for me, like Debrina, wholeness is not some far-off goal that's outside of me to pursue. Rather, it's something that's always existed inside of me. It's existed inside of me and you the entire time. And the process of pursuing it is equally one of forgetting as it is one of remembering. It's the act of uprooting and letting go of all of the beliefs about myself that got planted there by other people, and it's the act of remembering who I am beneath all the bullshit. My mom calls this the process of taking off the cardboard cutout selves to reveal the true self underneath. Others call this the act of taking masks off. In yoga, this is the process of removing veils. Regardless of which wisdom school you come through and how you want to talk about it, the act remains the same. You release what isn't you to uncover the true you that's underneath. 
For me, all those fake me's were killing the real me. Literally. I was stifled and suffocated by the expectations of other people and the ways that I had agreed to show up and perform those expectations. Now, I did so as a survival mechanism, and I was taught young, actually, that the only way to survive was to deny myself. And that began the process of putting on these cardboard cutout cells. Now, that's not to say that my parents didn't love me or encourage me toward artistry and self-expression. They definitely did. As you can see, if you're watching the video, there's lots of art all around me. But they also, you know, even though they did their best, it wasn't always the best. Harm can still happen in the home, even with the most well-meaning of parents. The United States is deeply entrenched in punishment culture, and that culture is unhelpful. And it teaches people to be ashamed of themselves, and most of us don't even really know why we feel bad or why we keep making those same mistakes that hurt us in the end. I finally realized after a long journey that there is an answer about that in brain science. But before I get on my brain science soapbox, let me take a pause and circle back to wholeness. I really meant what I said when I wrote that I could be dead in a ditch right now. Between the activities I was involved in and the mindset I was carrying around, I was a walking death wish. Some people are privy to those details, my producer Brooklyn being one of them, and some people aren't, and I would like it if you all left yourselves right there, unprivy. So I'm not going to speak on all of them here, but let's just say a lot of them were very high risk. The kinds of things a high school counselor prays their student doesn't get into after college, and there I was, doing it all. At the same time, I was carrying around self-shame because I had been told not to do those activities, and some of them, when caught, carried pretty weighty sentences. Literally. I digress. So, I was out here, ashamed of myself, pretending not to be, and wearing several cardboard cutout selves. I had different selves for different contexts, and none of them were me. When you get into the introduction of the book, You'll find out that while I was moonlighting as a party girl, I was daylighting in boardrooms, classrooms, and other community leadership spaces. None of it was really that fake exactly, but none of it was fully authentic either. So that really brings us back to the book. Just a little shameless self-plug again. The title is We Have Everything, and the pre-order link is now available in my bio. If you're in Seattle, you can join me for a book signing on March 27th, and make sure to mark your calendars for April 13th. We'll be doing a big celebration with dancing and connection time at the Capitol Hill Art Walk. Now, circling back to this book. At this point in my life, my options were really transform or die. And I really mean that. I chose to transform, though. And when I made that choice, the universe, higher power, God, ancestors, spirit guides, angels, etc., and all of the above responded. At the time, I was teaching at this terrible charter school. I was so anxious and my mind was so full of whirling dervishes, as we call them in yoga, which are the uncontrollable thoughts that end only in doom or gloom, that one day... It was probably 7 a.m. on my way to work. I lost complete control of my vehicle and swerved through several lanes of traffic. I overcorrected, and I could feel the vehicle catch air on one side. I knew it was going to flip and that I was going to die. 
I accepted my death in this moment and I sent up a little prayer. May my soul be blessed and may my transition be easy. I don't remember exactly how, but the car stopped swerving. I regained control and I got off at the next exit. I sat there and I cried, heart pounding, beating out of my chest. I took a few deep breaths and when I felt like I could turn the ignition back on, I took myself to work. And instead of teaching special education math, which I am not certified to teach, and that goes to show you how awful that school was, I told the kids we were just hanging out that day. And so we all took a breather. That afternoon, I called my doctor, scheduled a mental health appointment, and thankfully, the gods were in my favor. She sent an order to the school that said I required a medical leave for the rest of the school year. My assignment was to sit my ass down and rest. Now, this was the first time I had really sat down and rested, like maybe ever. Like I mentioned before, parents do their best, but we live in a society that encourages a lot of treatment of children that is unhelpful at best and abusive at worst. And on top of that, my parents were battling with their own demons as well. So while they were battling, I know that they did their best. And I also know that it wasn't the best, like I said before. I will say that my childhood was very artistic, and for that, I am extremely blessed and grateful. My parents both supported me in expressing myself using countless mediums, whether it was going to the clay studio with my dad and making masks, or if it was my mother teaching me how to read and write at a young age, which set me up to create poetry, prose, and all different kinds of written expressions, or the way that they bought me my first easel when I was five years old and made sure I always had paints. They put me in music lessons, so I'm an extremely talented musician. I've actually performed at the Paramount, the Triple Door, Jazz Alley, Tula's Jazz House, Egan's Jazz House, the list goes on. I've even played drums on Beale Street in Memphis. So, you know, these experiences wouldn't have been possible without my parents setting me up for artistic excellence. And so, again, I like to give credit where credit is due. However, I was also constantly anxious as a kid due to the general lack of stability. And as a teenager, I often had no idea where my next meal was coming from. So I found myself at age 26, sitting at home, it's actually my boyfriend's home, and not knowing how to actually sit. But he provided a space for me to sit, and I took it, along with the provisions from my doctor. And I returned to one of my favorite medicines that I've accessed since I was actually 15, yoga. And I just did yoga through hip-hop shows, shout out Sylvia Wolf. Shout out Michelle Mai. Shout out Trilogy. Shout out Brooklyn. <laughs> um, and I slept in. And a lot of people would look at this from the outside and say I was being lazy or concerning myself with things that didn't matter. But I'll invite you to consider this perspective. I was resting and playing freely for the first time in my life. At the big age of 26, my job was nap time and playtime. Because I didn't get those things freely as a child, notice the emphasis on the word freely. Those things came at a cost when I was a kid, but at 26, it was finally time to do them freely. Now, eventually the time came that my medical leave was over and playtime and rest time came to an end. When it was time for me to return to work, I found a job at this place called Sound Discipline. 
Now, they do things like teaching about social-emotional learning in the schoolhouse and, and helping teachers show up differently with students. They even help create more equitable school systems uh, by working with administrators and other kinds of folks. And they have lots of fancy new products for it. So, you know, if you're in the business, check out their website. But I remember back when I was doing my very first phone screening with them, they asked me why I actually applied. And I said that when I read the job description, it felt like looking in a mirror. I knew I was meant to do this social-emotional work. I didn't know how far it would go at the time, but I knew something about this was meant for me. Eventually, I was hired. When I began my job at Sound Discipline, I had completed my mandated season of rest and play, and I thought that because that was complete, I'd return to normal. What I didn't realize was that normal for me was chaos, and I didn't want to return to chaos. There was a lot more healing to do. At Sound Discipline, they have a practice of training employees in specific schools of wisdom so that employees can make that wisdom relevant to teachers, administrators, parents, and anyone else who might find themselves working with young people. All of that wisdom is grounded in social science and brain science. So I began to realize that the work was to leverage our biochemistry to create better functioning classrooms by helping teachers develop their skills, tools, and mindsets to help kids get their emotional needs met and therefore be able to access the learning, whether that's reading, writing, arithmetic, or whatever. Okay, so now I'm going to get back on my brain science soapbox. I learned that not only is our behavior affected by our emotional state, it is also affected by our beliefs. And that learning unlocked Pandora's box for me. This is also where I'll begin to come full circle and drive things home about how I actually made transformation happen to me, as opposed to just making yet another cardboard cutout self. I had to change my beliefs. Beliefs, along with your emotional state, drive your behavior. Again, beliefs, along with your emotional state, drive your behavior. If you believe that you are unworthy, you're going to act like it, whether you realize it consciously or not. The gag is that even in a heightened emotional state, your behavior will only go as far as your beliefs will allow it. As an adult, that is. Children's brains are not fully developed, so they don't have fully developed belief behavior cycles. That's exciting because it means that as adults, we can actually help them develop beliefs that create positive behaviors, but that's a story for another time. Right now, me and my adult transformation are the focus. Actually, you could, if you want to, check out the episode of my friend Mike's pod, The Napcast. I guessed it on it just a little bit ago. If you want my thoughts on early childhood development and how to do it well. Anywho, I digress again. So. Back to me. I had to change my beliefs, y'all. And this is no easy task. There are many, many modalities for changing beliefs, and I've tried damn near all of them. I'll give you an example. I used to smoke like five blunts a day. I know, cute little Sylvia. You can't even imagine it, but five of them. Sometimes seven. You know, I used to date a rapper, so things happen. Anyway, that is so much weed. And so much tobacco. It's ridiculous. Plant medicine is a wonderful friend in need. But honestly, at that point, I was kind of abusing it. I did not need to be smoking that much. Except for the fact that I did. 
My beliefs were so painful to embody that I had to get out of my body just to survive, just to maintain, just to hold on and keep going every day. And that's oftentimes what substance abuse is about, getting out of your body as a method of escaping pain. And that's an important act of self-preservation at the end of the day. That sometimes is the only thing that's going to keep you hanging on to get to that next day, which might be the day that you're able to have one less drink, smoke one less blunt, etc., etc. This is also similar to what Jay and I were talking about in episode one when we spoke on manifestation. I used to manifest to get away from painful circumstances a lot. Now I do a lot of manifesting to make my dreams come true. There's a slight difference there that if you want to dive into, circle back to the first episode. But, you know, similarly to manifesting to get away from those painful circumstances, I was using the plant medicine to get away from my pain. A lot. And finally, 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 I learned that I could actually uproot the pain inside me, send it off to compost, and plant new seeds of new beliefs that bear joyful fruit. In my book, chapter one lays out a few of the ways I was able to do that, and I'm going to go over them here as well. Number one way, talk to yourself nice. You matter. I'm going to say that one more time for the ones in back. You matter. And the way that you talk to yourself matters. Sometimes this can look like, you know, kind of the corny age old thing of putting post-it notes up on the mirror. It's corny because it works, by the way. Sometimes this can look like maybe having a little notes app widget on your phone so that every time you open up your phone, you see some cute little affirmations that you wrote yourself. Mine's called love notes. And they're love notes to me. Whatever the method is that's going to work for you. Think about ways that you can systemize talking to yourself nice. Cultures like the United States, cultures that are rife with bias, they really breed judgment. Judgment of others, which then primes us to also judge ourselves. And so practicing talking to yourself nice is an active resistance to the very culture that actually creates implicit bias. It'll also make you feel good, and it's more effective in the long run uh, when you feel good you're going to do better too. So next time you notice yourself having a self-deprecating thought or speaking a self-deprecating comment, consider how you could reframe it. Speak those positive affirmations over yourself. And remember, you are worthy of that kind of intimate self-care. That leads me to my next point, which is practice compassion for yourself. And remember, a lot of the things that happen to you, dare I say most, perhaps even all, of the things that have happened to you are not your fault. Stories exist all around us, stories that other people put on us, stories that we learn in childhood, and they are self-perpetuating when we don't interrupt them. These stories did not originate with you, and on a global scale, they're not going to stop with you either. But on a you scale, they can stop with you. And when you think about it on a global scale, stopping all of these negative stories really depends on each and every one of us taking responsibility to commit to living in congruence with our values and stopping them within ourselves first. So understand both that this problem is bigger than you and that you are also powerful enough to contribute your portion of it to the solution simply just by treating yourself nice. 
my next little piece of advice, and Jay and I spoke to this in the first episode as well, so you can circle back to that for some more thoughts, but is to practice accountability. Though a lot of these things are not your fault, they are your responsibility. Just like me, I could be dead in a ditch, but I'm not. My options were transform or die. I chose to transform. I decided that I was able to respond to the problem. You hear that? Response ability. Circle back to episode two with Debrina if you want more thoughts on how response ability comes out of the word responsibility. Sometimes responsibility can feel like a punishment. But remember, when we break down that word, what it really means is that we are able and empowered to respond. So doing this self-work is each and every one of our responsibilities. We are capable of responding, and accepting that is the first step to doing something about it. My next idea for you is to engage in learning new stories that counter the old ones. So maybe spend time with more people that say nice things about you than people that say mean things about you. Maybe reach out to people who know how to give feedback constructively. Maybe spend more time with people who can uh, move through conflict generatively rather than tear you down every time something bad happens. Food for thought. Lastly, join an affinity group. Doing this work is hard when it's by yourself. But when you have people that you can talk to that you know are equally as committed to the work of transforming themselves as you are, it becomes a lot easier. Talking about these things with other people helps us actually to uncover more of the biases that we might have on the inside, and it also helps us to realize that we're not alone. In chapter one of my book, you'll also learn about how strong the human desire is for connection and belonging. That's another piece of brain science. We're actually wired for it as a species. And because of that strong and powerful desire, Realizing that we're not alone is really powerful when it comes to the work of uprooting old beliefs and replacing them with new ones. Working with others also helps us identify old beliefs in ways that we're not able to do alone. Have you ever received a compliment from someone that helped you see yourself in a new light? Other people can also reflect our unconsciously held beliefs back to us in the same way, helping us to see them with clarity. When we see clearly, we're empowered to act clearly. And lastly, I'm big on this one. Seek professional help. Get a therapist. And yes, I did just put on my mom yelling at you voice, which is one of those unhelpful patterns that my parents used that I learned. (laughs) But sometimes it's motivating when a beautiful woman yells at you. We won't talk about that too much on this podcast, though. Stories for another time. Point being, get a therapist. Sometimes professionals can help us uncover things within us that we would not be able to otherwise, even if we are attending that affinity group. Before I close, revolutionaries, as you know, I'm a freaking writer. I wrote a gosh darn book. And so I'm going to encourage you to do a little bit of writing as well. Now, you don't need to write a whole ass book. That may not be for you, and that's okay. But I will invite you to get your journal out, and I'm going to offer you a couple of journal prompts 
that might help you along the way. The first is, write down this phrase, I am worthy of love and care. Again, I am worthy of love and care. Now just take a moment to notice how you're feeling. Journal about it. Take a moment to notice what you're thinking. Journal about that too. Do your best to keep the feelings and thoughts separate and see what arises. Second, you ready? You got your pens ready. Okay. Second, I am responsible for myself. I can create change. One more time. I am responsible for myself. I can create change. How does that make you feel? What's the first thing that comes to mind to take new responsibility for? If you want to, you could join the conversation by sharing on Instagram or not. Now, however, regardless of how you participate, I'll let you know that in the book, I go a bit deeper into how this belief behavior feedback loop causes us to take on beliefs that can end up harming others as well, such as implicit biases like racism, sexism, and etc. For this podcast episode, I wanted to just focus on how these beliefs can impact our relationship with just ourselves. I hope that this helps, and after you listen, like I said, do please feel invited to interact. I want to hear from you all about how these words are landing. If you are somebody that has my phone number, feel free to text me. If you don't, please don't ask me for it. Too many people have my phone number already, but my DMs are always open. You can hit the Revolution of Wholeness podcast, Instagram, or you can hit my personal. doesn't really matter to me. Although, if you aren't already following the Revolution of Wholeness, you might want to, so you get those notifications when the podcast episodes come out. You can turn the notifications on. Anywho, once again, I digress. But you could leave a comment, share how it's impacted you, how you might begin the work of changing your beliefs, what are some of those old beliefs that you might be carrying, and what your transformation journeys have been like. All right, revolutionaries. That's all for this month. I'll see you in April. Much love, Auntie Silk.